Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, I'm Matt Kane, Editor-in-Chief of Attitude, and welcome to a very special episode of Attitude Heroes. Today, we've got not one, but two guests, both incredibly successful in their own right. Just before we hear from them, a quick reminder that Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. We've been doing these podcasts for nearly a year now, and this is the first one where we've heard from a couple. And what a couple they are. But before we begin, I've got a quick favour to ask. Next month, we're making a special Greatest Hits episode of this podcast with clips from our previous guests, and we'd love you to be involved. If you've enjoyed these podcasts in any way, whether you find them challenging, reassuring, thought-provoking, or simply entertaining, we'd love to hear from you. It doesn't matter where you are in the world or what your story is, we'd just like to hear which bits you've liked and which bits have meant the most to you. There's an email address you can use, and it's podcast at attitude.co.uk. That's podcast at attitude.co.uk. Right, on to today's guest now, and talk about a power couple. Tom Daly is a double world champion diver. He first made a splash, sorry, at the 2008 Beijing Olympics as Britain's youngest competitor when he was just 14. Five years later, he released a short video that told his fans and the world that he'd met someone special. And that person was a man. The man in question was Dustin Lance Black. And while Tom had been diving in Beijing, Lance was writing the brilliant film Milk, which would go on to win him and the film star Sean Penn Academy Awards. Earlier this year, Tom and Lance got married in a castle in Devon. But despite a honeymoon, gruelling training schedules and a million and one other commitments, Tom still found time to host our Attitude Awards back in October. And if anyone's seen the videos on our website, you'll know he did a great job. When I went to their home in London, Tom and Lance told me how they got together and who made the first move. Yeah, I was definitely the freight train in this situation. I was going to say, I didn't have to do any work. Let's just... (laughs) All right. (laughs) Lance confessed to having some initial nerves. You're really cute. Like, you're really intimidating. You have no idea. 
Like, I was intimidated. I was scared. And they told me about wanting to have kids. Family is something that Lance and I feel very strongly about, but it's not quite as easy as having a glass of wine, some pizza, and a good <laughs> night. There's a little bit of strong language in places, but come on, it wouldn't be Attitude Heroes without a bit of that, would it? So if I take this chair here, you can sit right there on the sofa between Tom and Lance. I hope you enjoy it. So, Tom and Lance, thank you for having me in your home. You're very welcome. Oh. It's good to have you here. It's gorgeous. I'd love to know whose taste the interior design is. Well, there's well, to be honest, lots of it is Lance's. My key inputs to the design of the home are the Union Jack sofa, Union Jack curtains, Union Jack fridge. Union Jack blanket and also Union Jack uh, storage boxes. Storage boxes, magnets, uh, aprons. Yes. Uh, I mean, really, truly, everywhere you look, somewhere, and usually not well hidden, is a Union Jack in this house. Anything tasteful is Lance's, <laughs> basically. Uh, like, as an American, because our country is so young, we treasure things like exposed yeah, yeah, brick, yeah. like really well-aged brick, but you just never see it. And I think sometimes that's taken for granted here. So my whole thing was leave as much of this old hops drying factory exposed as possible. Let's talk about the American thing, because you mentioned coming over here from America. Is this now your permanent home, the two of you? Yeah, we, we struggled to get Lance um, <clears throat> a visa. We had visa issues initially, because it was like, before a wedding, we, you have to like give notice, obviously, and if you don't have a US visa, a UK visa, and you got a US passport, you had to give like 12 weeks. Listen, what I learned was, is it's, it is actually really challenging uh, in terms of what the hurdles, uh, like the paperwork, the legal hurdles, the financial hurdles, all of it to being able to reside here and not just be a tourist here. Um, so to those worried that too many people are able to, to too easily get in here, <laughs> by the way, I had a really hard time doing it, and I've got plenty of means and, yeah. and contact with lawyers, and it was still very, very difficult. I'll just say, uh, you know, rising above politics, it's very hard. Uh, and, 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 you know, we were actually in love and getting married and, you know, not trying to fool anybody Did with anything. Did you have to prove that you were in love and getting married? Yeah, we had to make out in front of <laughs> some sort of a judge. We had to like send photos in, text messages, emails. Did you really? And have yeah. to like really prove that we weren't just in a random relationship. And it was quite crucial because they told us it was going to be five to six days and it ended up being five weeks. And we made the notice giving for our wedding by 24 hours. So if we had got it 24 hours later, we wouldn't have been able to get married on the day that we planned. At some point, they asked for all of our text conversations with each other from like the day we met, <laughs> which is like really? at that point the was, whole oh yeah, like four and a half years of texting back. And we were long distance over a lot of this. And let me just say, there ain't a subject we didn't discuss. <laughs> and somewhere, some Ooh. judge was probably blushing. <laughs> Yeah. But I tell you what, we'll talk about all that soon and we'll talk about politics soon, but you mentioned these hurdles you had to overcome. How about cultural differences if we look at the gay thing? Have you noticed any differences? Well, Tom as well, because you've spent a lot of time in America, between the gay culture and community that you have in North America 
coming here to the UK? I really am bad with gay culture because I don't really get to... Whenever I go travelling, I'm either at the pool or at the hotel. I don't really get to experience the whole going out and mixing and that kind of thing very often. So, And even in the UK, I don't really know all that much. All I know is that nights out in heaven end up at, like, 5am in the morning and, you know... Yeah, that doesn't happen so much in America, does it? But that's not necessarily a gay thing. Everything shuts at 1.45. Yeah. Well, in LA, anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I came here for Tom, so it's like I, I never experienced gay, single gay culture here, the club culture here, the bar culture here, uh, which is still where so much of gay life happens. You know, that's where we went for safety uh, way back in the day, and it's still where we find our home so often. But I just haven't, I haven't done that um, here, so I don't really know. And also I could talk about how my life as a gay man has changed, but I don't know how much of that is being here in London or just the fact that you're in a relationship. I'm in a relationship. I'm in love now. I'm, in, I'm married and just changes the things that you want to do. I've, also, I've never experienced it in terms of ever since I've been out, I've been with Lance. So I wouldn't know what it would be like to. Oh, you know. so you never went to. I've never been out as a single man in any situation as a gay you guy. You missed out, darling. No, I know. <laughs> I've got Lance. Okay, now. No, I've got, I've, right. got, I've got Lance the rest of my life. So I'm not missing out. I've got Lance. Listen, I would love to, I would love to go out here on occasion. We're just never here, like together. Okay, to go I was out. like, go out on your own. Okay. No, because I think, I, listen, <laughs> I think it's, you know, I mean, gay people are fabulous and fun. Like, we know how to have a good time. We do, don't we? We do. I just, I just, part of it's also Tom is at the top of his game as an athlete right now. I mean, he's, yeah. I he's, a, he's a world <laughs> champion right now. He's got to be up at 6 a.m., which means I have to be up at 6 a.m., I don't have to be, but at 6 a.m. he starts cooking breakfast. And if I want, like, a homemade meal, you know, I better get out of bed. cooking breakfast every morning. He does. And then he's downstairs oh. showering, getting ready. I'm upstairs cooking away. And then by the I time make, we cook, I make, I'm making the bed down there, too. I have my... Well, he I makes the bed. Test. I come upstairs, make the, make the breakfast. And then we sit and watch the news in the morning before I go to training. And then he walks me to the station and gets his coffee. And a I second come. coffee. A second coffee, yeah. Sounds very idyllic. I mean, it kind of, I think it kind of is. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I suppose, yeah, it should be. If you two, you two should think that, shouldn't you? I mean, you? listen, I know, I, if you would asked me, you know, five years ago, if I was ever going to get married, and this is in the middle of a marriage equality fight that I was deeply involved in, I would have told you I probably missed that boat. It's no secret, and I, I'm a bit sappy about this, but it's no secret that I fell incredibly in love. And yes, it does feel like a dream. Oh. I'll get I'll get teary eyed, but yeah, every day every day that we're actually together uh, here in London does feel like a dream. Unless it's he doesn't a, put the dishes in the dishwasher, and, and then, then it's an, <laughs> then it's a, nightmare. a beeping nightmare. Yeah. Can we can we cuss on this? <laughs> yes, you can. Let's talk about you falling in love. Then am I right in thinking that you met in the US through friends? Yeah, so we, I was over doing some uh, TV hosts. I think it was like the Nickelodeon Kids Cho- or Teen Choice Kids Choice Awards or something like that. So I was winning an award for the UK side of things, but it was all done out in LA. And I, it was one of those things that 
I had obviously gone out and was mixing like in dinner and like meeting new people in LA. And then one time, my like a mutual friend of ours didn't know that at the time, but said, "Oh, let's go for dinner." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, fine. I'll bring the people that are coming from uh, my side, and we'll all have like a group dinner. Great." And he, they said he said he was going to bring a couple of friends. And then I see. Lance sat at the table. You showed up like an hour late, by the way. <laughs> we had all been waiting there forever for you. I think we had ordered starters. We were waiting to order mains. There's a hint of an eye roll, by the way, coming from Tom there. <laughs> well, it wasn't my fault that we were late, technically. But, yes, we were late. But then we got started talking, and it wasn't like a... It, I kept getting caught looking at him. Because, obviously, I wasn't, like, really out then and I wasn't didn't really expect to kind of, like, have this moment that I did with Lance. But the way that I got around it was talking about the goings-on inside the Olympic Village and how it would make a pretty cool film. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we traded, like, contact details at the end of the night and I put my number in his phone with a wink face and it was kind of a little bit... So did you even know that he was flirting with you or did you not even know that he was gay? Um, I knew he was straight going ah. to dinner, and uh, or at least that's what I was led to believe. And then uh, we all know that moment when you catch someone of the same gender looking at you a certain way. That's great. And not yeah, only are they looking, it. but then the telltale sign is when they look away really quickly, like they've been caught. Now, I'm sorry, straight guys don't do that. If they're caught looking at you, they just grin. Like, hey, what's up, buddy? That's not what he was doing. And it, it happened a few times, and, and I was... But, you know, I, I just... I didn't know what to make of it, I have to say. And then a friend of mine at the table texted me and said, he's Googling you. <laughs> <laughs> Only because the friend was like, oh, my God, like, do you know what he... Like, who he is or what he does? I was like, I don't know who he is. I was just like, you know... I kind of just thought he was cute. And then I was, and then he was like, Google him and see what he, I was like, okay. So like, first of all, like Google Lance Black. That's a really Black. dangerous thing to do though. And then I didn't <laughs> know, know who, like, who, knows, who knows what comes up then. I also did not um, know that <laughs> his first lucky. name was Dustin. Cause you introduced yourself as Lance. So I didn't know so that you were actually- thought I was lying right off. So I was like, wait, why is he calling himself Lance? Like he's calling himself by his middle name. That's weird. And then, but yeah, so then I, you know, Again, he, the friend that invited us, he's like, yeah, he wrote milk. And I was like, uh, like, like, what? what? Like, I, I was like, I, I, I had never seen it. So I was guilty of never seeing milk. Um, he but, thought it was a dairy industry like, movie. No, I didn't. But I was just like, oh, what's, what's that? And then I, I, I was a bit curious. But then I obviously was Googling and finding all these things out. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. But it was, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting night. Lots of small talk about the Olympic Village. And that's how you text me the next morning. It's like, oh. I had a script to do, so I had to go home. And, uh, and they were all celebrating because he just won some um, award. So I left. But I left with a phone number that also had a winky face in the, in the phone like next that he'd put next to it. And it was also a sign, right? Yeah, big like, time. Like in that discussion of mask versus not, <laughs> not so mask. <laughs> Not the well, winky also, face. Says, oh. says Lance, who sends his assistant over to get the number from me. I, by the way, I have no desire to be mask. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just me. And on some days, that's just blazing on fire. I'm, I'm fine. Blazing, I'm it? fine with it. I'm fine with it. But yeah, I did send my assistant. You're really cute. Like, you're really intimidating. You have I'm no idea. Not. Like, I was intimidated. I was scared. So I sent, my, I sent my straight assistant. 
But he, was, I, he was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he's really cute. So can I just say, right, so Lance has done all this work with kind of LGBT rights, writing milk. You weren't even out. You didn't even know about milk. No. So how do you, when you started to discover about the fact that he knew about all this stuff, was that something that attracted you to him? It, uh, yeah, I think it was the first time that I didn't care. That was, I think that was the big telltale sign for me, was that before I'd always been worried about what other people would think or what, like, how people would see it and be like, oh, what's happening? What, like, that's a bit weird. Why are they talking so much? That kind of thing. But it was the first time that I saw, I saw Lance and then I, you know, started talking to him and I just did not care what anyone else thought. So I think that for me was like, oh, this is... Had you been trying to suppress it then, before then? I don't think I was ever trying to suppress it. If you ask any of my friends, I wasn't... It was, like, it was just one of those things that if I met a girl or, like, got, like, it didn't really matter. (laughs) Not that it would go to, like, such extent, but it was, like, people knew that I was kind of flirty with everyone. (laughs) I'm not flirty with everyone now, just flirty with Lance now. He's a flirt. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it I, makes I am it a makes flirt. yeah, yes. Yeah, I am but, too. I am too. You're you're really guilty of being a flirt because you're Lance because he's from like south to east Texan. So the one thing that Lance does, he's very like he'll like if you he sees someone he'll like grab on the shoulder and be like, "Oh, like rub his knee." That's a big difference between the US and and where I'm from in the US and, the more demonstrative. and here. Well, yeah, I mean, where I'm from, the behavior that you demonstrate, even with a stranger or someone you barely know, if you do it here, it's considered flirtatious. It's considered really forward. So yeah, I mean, you're taught to touch people and ask a lot of personal questions and eye contact. So what was it like the first time you did touch his knee and put your arm on his shoulder? Did he flinch because it was too, or no? There wasn't a whole lot of contact. (laughs) I mean, it's one of the things that, I mean, sure, he was really cute. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, You know, did I wanna, give him a kiss. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did I dare? No, I wasn't going to initiate that. And we just talked and talked and talked for hours and hours. And, and it was, that's when I knew, I remember calling my mom the next day. And I remember just telling her, mom, I'm in trouble. I love the way that you describe it as trouble rather than mom, I've got something really exciting to say. Well, because you know, I'm, uh, it's no secret. I'm a little bit older and I had been in relationships. And so you know, it's not just about the sparkles and the giggles and the butterfly wings. Like, I know there's a responsibility and that um, there'll be ups and downs and that if, you know, and the relationship is work. Yeah. And I saw it coming. It was coming yeah. at me like a freight train. But also, if you're saying that, you know, Tom, you were at a different stage of your journey to kind of explore and express your sexuality, then you presumably thought you had to be careful with that. You know, it's quite a sensitive time for somebody to go through, isn't it? And if you just get in there like a freight train, look at you, why are you smiling? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I was definitely the freight train. I was going to say, I was going to say, let me just say, yeah, yeah. Uh, no comment. You were uh, the freight train. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I was not, I was not. Lance is quite, like, believe it or not, Lance is quite a shy person. You were shy and demure, and he was pushing. I (laughs) I didn't have to do any work. Let's just... (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll tell you what, you have mentioned the age difference that some people have commented on, and do you see that rather than um, something that is an obstacle to get over, something that fed into your connection in your relationship in the early days? I know for me, I have never ever been able to connect with someone that is my age, uh, whether that's 
or, you know, any of my friends who understand how much hard work goes into getting to the top of your chosen field, your career, and then the feelings of how of loss of a family member that's really close to you. Lance had lost his mother, uh, his brother, and also his mum. And like, my, I lost my dad, and we were able to we we've been able to connect on so many different levels. And I think for having someone that you can also talk to about, like, if I was to talk about after winning an Olympic medal, how sad and upset, and how I didn't know if I wanted, and lost all motivation, didn't really want to do it anymore, to someone that. I'd never won an Olympic medal or been, they'd be like, what are you on about? You've won an Olympic medal, cheer up, like, get carry on, get on with it. Whereas Lance had won an Oscar and then after winning an Oscar, like, where do you go? Like, what do you do? You have that moment of like post-Olympic blues or post-Oscar blues. And we were able to talk about it without sounding like spoiled brats to each other because it is something that you do really go through. And I think things like that and understanding how much hard work goes into things, how much you have to focus on certain things and being able to support each other and understand that. I, I'm, there's not many people my age that I would be able to do that with. And plus, I yeah, Lance is probably the most more immature one. <laughs> he <laughs> keeps smiling brightly as you're talking. That's always, I always, he makes me laugh. Um, the... Uh, I mean, I here's here's my take on it, and I'm guilty of having done this wrong a few times. Aren't we all, darling? The, uh, <laughs> the uh, whenever I see, I'll use this. Whenever I see a good friend, right, like a good-looking friend, walk into a restaurant or a club or a bar to introduce me to their new other half, their new boyfriend. They're very excited about it, and they sort of like they both have the same kind of muscles, and they like both have the great you know, whatever, blonde or brunette hair, and they start talking about how much they have in common, I'm like, you are going to have the best three to six months ever. Mm. I think that having a lot in common is incredibly overrated, you know? And you can sort of compare it to heterosexual relationships, which have this added bonus. There is never too much similarity, you know? There's always this built-in difference. And even in the cycles of how people, how men and women change at different you know, years of their lives and different portions of their lives. They're changing differently at different times. So it's like in, in straight relationships, you have this built-in thing where you're always curious about your other half forever because you're both changing. Mm-hmm. In gay relationships, I think could benefit. And often what I see from the ones that seem to last is there is some built-in difference, whether it's cultural, where they grew up and where they lived, uh, race, ethnicity, religion, age. There's some difference that lets curiosity continue past yeah. three to six months. Tom surprises me at every turn with things I never knew that I didn't know I would be curious about. He's still surprising you now. Oh my gosh, all the, are you kidding? All the time. So in terms of right, so things that you had in dif- difference, um, let's go back to gay, gay, gay. So you were obviously totally out gay rights activist and Tom was just kind of exploring yes. that side of him. So can I ask you about your journeys as gay men? I'd love to know when you were growing up, what kind of things you heard about gays and what you thought about gays and what kind of message you mm. absorbed about who you maybe were starting to think you might be. Well, I thought that forever, I, I, in my particular year group in my school, growing up from the age of what it's like when you start at like, it was called reception, it's not called reception anymore, I don't think, but they had 
for example, um, you have a class of like 25, 30 kids that you go from like year one, two, three, all the way up to year six in my whole primary school. There were only uh, five boys and the rest were 25 girls. So I, you know, it was always, there was always like, you know, you'd always hang out with the girls and the guys would hang out with the, it was just one of those things. Um, so I just thought it was kind of normal to just sometimes you'd be attracted to guys, sometimes be attracted to girls. I just thought that was what everyone was thinking. The girls were hanging out with girls, guys were hanging out with guys, and it was just like this big mix. So I just assumed that was normal. And it wasn't until I went to secondary school and then started, you know, it's when you go to secondary school, you hear all the things, or like, oh, you're gay, or like, and using the word in a derogatory manner, then I was like, oh, like, what does, what does that mean? Like, what's wrong with, like, you know, two guys or two girls? Like, my mum also had um, has a friend uh, and she's a lesbian and they've been, you know, together for years. So I'd already seen that and how much they, you know, I totally accepted. So I was like, maybe it can't be that bad. But then I always almost feel like as a gay guy, it can sometimes be a little bit more looked down upon than uh, gay Women. Well, what example. I don't understand is, I was thinking about this the other day. When your kids, a boyish girl is celebrated as a tomboy and cool, and a girly boy is totally yeah. demonised and made to feel like a freak. But when you get older, butch lesbians are demonised all the time. People openly mock them. Whereas camp gays, everybody loves them. Yeah. What happens there? It's weird. Like, again, it's something that... I mean, I have, I have no clue in terms of, uh, with that. I, I've just never really had the same level of judgment as some people do. Like when it comes to whether that's ethnicity, religion, um, sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, whatever that is, I, you kind of just have to see past that and see everyone as like a blank canvas. Everyone is exactly the same on the outside. But that is the blank canvas. I mean, we're born with a blank yeah. canvas in yeah. terms of what we think genders ought to be, right? We're born with a blank. Where I'm from in Texas, oh my gosh, if you're a boy, you better be butch. Yeah. And if you're a girl, you better be very femme. And if it's anything other than that, boy, you're, you're in some trouble, right? You're in trouble with your pastor, you're in trouble at school, all of that. But it is a human construct and it is such complete bullshit. No, I know, exactly. I totally agree that it's complete bullshit. But isn't it interesting that most of us, well, lots of us can remember the moment, you know, we start with this blank canvas, as you say, but we can remember the moment when we're told that it was wrong. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, and I just wondered whether you could... You know, because you were saying you were around all these girls, you thought it was natural. Can you remember the moment when you were told, actually, this is wrong? For me, I was never told that it was wrong. I, like, my parents never said anything. It was not anything that ever, like, I ever felt was wrong. It was more in, um, more in a, maybe a school environment. The word gay was used in a, oh, don't be gay. Like, oh, don't be, you know, even almost used as a, don't be stupid or don't be silly or like, don't be annoying. Like it was kind of gay was used as that kind of word, not necessarily for the meaning of like, don't be homo. That would be, have a completely different, you know. Just means don't be bad. Yeah, don't it? be bad. Like, don't be silly. Don't be stupid. Don't you? So when the only time that I can really remember any of my family members saying anything is we were at a um, dinner and there was some kind of like dance display going on and it was like very, 
you know, elaborate and flamboyant. And I remember um, looking at my dad and my granddad and the, just the, the, he did, my dad looked at me, smiled and kind of just went, well, they're all very nice boys, aren't they? <laughs> and that was the only like nod towards it that I remember it then, you know, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't derogatory. It was kind of just like a, wow, well, they're, you know, it's pointing not afraid out their to difference. be. Yeah, it's pointing out the difference, but not necessarily saying, oh, that's, you know, look at them, who put the devil in them, that kind of thing. It was very much just like a, you know, good for them. They're up there doing their thing and, you know. I got so, the yeah. I got the devil in them. Yeah, I was gonna say it wasn't where quite I'm so from. Good for you. Yeah, no, I, Mormon. I grew up Mormon and Texan, and you know, in a conservative house, military. I mean, just the full give works. me what you got. <laughs> so I heard it all. I mean, the fir- the the first time I realized because I already knew I was a, I already knew I was a gay kid because uh, I already had a crush on you know at least one boy down the street. It's interesting those of us who do. I always knew you always knew, but it sounds like Tom didn't always know. I always knew that I liked guys. It just wasn't always... I just thought it was a normal thing to like guys, but then also appreciate girls' attention too. Like, I didn't know that there was a, you know, strict rule, you must like one or the other. Well, there's not. I mean, I don't know if I'll be in trouble for that. His head still turns for girls. (gasps) I know. I didn't know that. Well, when you did your video, you did... When you did your coming out video, you did say you were attracted to both. But... I've been calling you gay. Do you identify as bisexual or...? I don't really identify as any any of that. Well, because at the end of the day, I'm married to a guy. So in theory, I guess that would make me gay, but I wouldn't put like necessarily put a label on it because it's not, you know, it's... I, I don't know, it's a different thing. I, I also think it's like there's a generational change that's happening where these definitions feel a little stale and outdated and not quite accurate. I adopted labels because I had them thrust upon me, sort of in the same way we identify mask and femme as these labels and what it means to be a man or a woman. I also, from a very early age, and maybe you feel the same, I heard all of these derogatory words for being gay, tons of them. So by the time I had my first crush, I already knew what I was. If you weren't hearing that and you weren't hearing it as a pejorative, you might not so quickly identify yourself. You might allow yourself to exist in probably the more natural gray area that most of us live in. Which is a situation that I found myself in because nobody ever said to me anything was wrong, like there was anything wrong with it. It was like, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I would, you know, I would get the tea towel from the kitchen and tuck it into my trousers to make it look like a skirt. <laughs> we all do and if, it, like and if it wasn't completely level, I would throw a hissy fit. <laughs> so my mum and dad would have to make sure everything was completely level. And I mean, I talked about it, I've talked about it in a YouTube video a few, a couple of years ago with my mum for Mother's Day. And I mean, I used to dress up, my dad used so to dress- So your mom was your actual first drag mom. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. With a lesbian friend. Yeah, She's exactly, drag yeah. Mom. But then my, um, like, my dad always, always used to dress up as uh, Elvis and sing, uh, like, karaoke. Like, when we used to go down to the caravan every single weekend, there would always be, like, the penultimate song of the evening on the karaoke machine would be my dad dressed up as Elvis coming in from the, you know, outside, full, like, you know, jumpsuit, you know, the red lay around his neck and like the shades on the wig the full thing so then i started doing it so then it became like a mini me and elvis kind of 
double act. And I think it was just, I, it was just kind of like, whatever you want to do. Like, if you want to do that, great. If you want to, if you don't want to be up on stage, then don't. If you, you know, want to go dive, then dive. It was very much like one day I said, I don't want to do it anymore. And he said, okay, no problem. So we oh. went and got ice cream. And then the next day I was like, actually, I do want to go back. But, and it was just like, whatever. I think that's where the, you know, the environment that you grow up in makes it so that you don't have to label anything. You don't have to feel like you need to fit into certain way of thinking and being. Well, yeah, but it's interesting, you know, from what Lance is saying, you had a completely different experience. Your yeah. difference wasn't celebrated and you were given labels that identified you and they were all pejorative. Absolutely. It was all bad. It was all bad news for a very long time. So how did you feel, how could you feel good about those desires and those crushes? I or, didn't. So you thought there was secret shame, secret shame? Oh my gosh, I had shame stacked on top of shame, stacked on top of shame. And uh, you know, it, for me, it was, it was truly a turn of luck that my mom remarried. Um, the man she remarried uh, was not religious in the same way we had been. He had orders to ship off to California, just south of San Francisco. Uh, and I got into the theater and that brought me to a city called San Francisco. And let me tell you, all of a sudden, people <laughs> said the word gay differently. It was something to celebrate. And I just never heard any of that before. It's where I heard about, so really in the course of like six months, everything changed when I left San Antonio and moved to Salinas, California and got into the world there where I first heard stories about people like Harvey Milk. You know, it was a tough time for gay people because it was in the middle of uh, the AIDS epidemic. Um, but there was a little glimmer of hope there that some people were actually living openly, which is not something I'd ever heard about uh, in Texas, and that you could still achieve things as an openly gay person. It was really big news for me. But it's also, it can be quite overwhelming, can't it, and quite difficult to adjust. It's what you've always wanted, but all you've known is people telling you it's bad, and a lot of gay men go bonkers and go berserk, and, you know... They, can't, they don't quite know how to process it. It's a lot to go through, isn't it, in a short space of time? I wasn't cured of my internalized homophobia for a long time. I still catch myself every now and then. What do you catch yourself doing then? How does it express itself now when you're married and everybody knows but you're... You know, I mean, I, oof, this is like... I, I'm, I'm, I'm opening up to you right now. It's because the couch is so comfy. But I mean, when we first got married in the first few times, I would be out there in the world talking to strangers and calling Tom my husband. And there would be just that split second hesitation to say the word. And, be a, and, and in, buried in that was a fear of their reaction. Uh, but also I think as I examined it, like this little question from the little six-year-old Mormon military Southern kid going, do I really deserve that? Mm. And, uh, and that slight hesitation in those first few weeks and moments of calling Tom my husband, uh, I found a little kernel of homophobia still alive. Well, that discomfort is kind of rammed into you from such an early age, isn't it? It's so difficult to get rid of it. You see people get dis like uncomfortable when, like, for example, you say, oh, people say, oh, like, how are you, Tom? And how's your, how's your partner? They're like, I feel uncomfortable yeah. with saying the word husband like because it's you know it's for them it's I like enjoy correcting get, them like I won't be like uh, no actually he's my husband but the next time that I refer to Lance I'll refer to him as yeah my husband does this because to like reiterate like actually we're married and it's a legit thing because there was I can't remember the paper 
that reported it um, after our wedding saying, oh, they have had their civil partnership or something like that. Yeah. It's very homophobic. There was a paper that refused to call it a marriage. a marriage. You would never get a paper now openly slagging you off for two men getting married. But um, you get these little subtle ways they have of just kind of bringing you down, cutting you down to size. Yeah. Making it not real or not yeah. seem like it's not a... Equal. Or lesser than, yeah. Yeah. Right, I want to take a quick pause, and then when we come back, we will talk about the wedding and the marriage. Yes. Before we rejoin Tom and Lance sitting on the sofa in their lovely London home, remember, we want to hear what you've enjoyed about this series of podcasts over the last year. We'd love to know your favourite bits, or even just your favourite guests, and a little about what they meant to you. So please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at attitude.co.uk. Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. Let's talk about your wedding, which was obviously the biggest event in your lives of the last year. Yes. Um, were you, how, you know, how big a thing was this in terms of your, you know, because people talk about politically how it's just a symbolic victory. But actually, it's like what you were saying earlier, Tom. It's, it shows the world that your love is legit. It's not just symbolic, is it? Yeah, no, it's, it's like for us, there was no politics or like, you know, anything behind it. We wanted to get married because we wanted to get married. And I think there's something about, I don't know, whenever I've referred to Lance before, whether it's in uh, the diving world or with people that you, you know, you meet or what, if you say, oh yeah, me and my boyfriend are doing this, Everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay, then. Or, or can I bring my boyfriend? And it's kind of a bit like, oh, yeah, okay. Whereas when it's, like, a husband, it legitimises the relationship. So people take us seriously. So I think that's the one big difference that I've noticed since we've been married is that we're married and we're starting to be treated like an actual married couple that actually do things together and actually are with each I mean, other all the time. That is, That was the entire... Listen, I was... You know, I was one of the founding members of that case that made it to the Supreme Court in the United States. The whole, we had to go through the courts. The whole argument was, is there meaning in the word marriage? Because that's what we were fighting for in many states. Many states had very similar laws for civil partnerships. What is the power of the word? And we were able to prove in a court of law that that word has power. Because everyone understands it universally. Everyone knows what a married couple is. And, um, you know, and, and it's what we felt like we were in so many ways already. And it was like a confirmation of that. What I didn't expect at all, you know, because I'd been doing that forever and I always thought I knew what marriage meant. And, uh, and then we did it. And I, I will admit I had no clue the whole time I was fighting for it in the United States. And I'll get teary talking about it. I had no idea. Dia, the power of the simple design of getting up in front of all of the people who you love and who matter in your life and making a promise to another person. It is such a potent and powerful design. And I, I mean, it, it truly was, I never see 
rarely see him cry. I might a little more often. But we were both, I mean, we were both in tears on that day and for good reason. And it had more meaning than I ever thought. And I was so happy to do it. And I was raging mad that... Uh, it was kept from us from for, for so oh, long. Really, that anger was there as well. God, yeah. what a lot of and emotion then, going on on that day. Well, welcome to my world. Uh, <laughs> but but I, loads. you know, but also and thinking of the places where it's still not available to people and knowing what what they're not, what they don't have available to them. I don't think everyone should have to get married, or even it's not for everybody, but for those who want to and who want to live their life in that way, it should be available to everyone. I mean, it's not just marriage. That's the thing, you know, obviously. It's like people, you know, have to fight for their lives. You know, like we're worrying about whether we can get up in front of families and being able to promise. And that is one of the most special things that we'll ever do. But it's, you know, to think that there are people out there that are like, completely terrified about leaving the house and being who they are. Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not one or the other. The two are linked. And I know that you said it was a personal decision to get married. It wasn't a political statement. But at the same time, just being two visibly gay men celebrating your love publicly is a political statement. And in those countries where gays are still having a really hard time, that message surely has some impact there. I don't think you can separate the personal and the political, can you? I mean, if it does help anyone anywhere out there, then obviously it's absolutely amazing. But it's not something that we set out to do. That wasn't the reason that we got married. I mean, we'll do anything we can in order to help people around the world feel like they're safe and comfortable with who they are. And it's something that's going to take a very long time to get to that point. But, you know, we're always up for the fight for, like, equality for all. I mean, it goes both ways, doesn't it? It's like... uh you know, our our personal, as LGBT people, LGBTQIA and as big as our family can get people, um, it's always political. Our personal is yeah. always political. And so, yes, of course, our very personal wedding is political. That's, I wish it wasn't that way, but it's true. Um, and, and it goes the other way too, though. Our political, because people often say, oh, you LGBTQIA people, you're so political all the time. Can you just calm down? It's like, no, because it's personal. Yeah. It's our lives. Yeah, it's not like so many other political issues. If you're talking about taxation, right? It's uh, which you could also argue is personal in some ways. But this is incredible. This goes to the heart of who we are as human beings that can love. We have to be, don't we? As gay people, as LGBT people, we have to be political. If you were to take a straight diver and their writer partner, if they were posting their wedding on Instagram or whatever, there would be no political element to that whatsoever and you know it's it's kind of them and it's great that you guys embrace it because you know it is even when you're doing something that might seem light and fluffy like putting your honeymoon pictures on instagram there's a political element to it isn't there we don't think about it at the time but it's just inherent in who we are at this moment in time but i mean we certainly don't think about it as and we just want to share our like our wedding photos and our honeymoon photos just like anyone else that goes on a honeymoon or have their wedding the first thing they do is put up a photo of them in their, you know, lovely white flowing dress. And, like, why can't we put photos of us <laughs> having our best day of our lives? And same with the honeymoon. We got to go some, to some amazing places and we're incredibly lucky to have done that. So, of course, we want to share that because, you know, it's something that we feel like we've had, like, the best time. So you're not going to just be, you know, afraid to post anything because you don't want pe- what, wonder what people's opinions are going to be. 
So was it the best, was it, did the day go exactly as you wanted it to? Did you nail your speeches and everything? I think it went even better. I didn't have any speeches planned. I I just stood up and spoke about the experience of getting married and how much fun it was and thanked everyone in the room. And it was one of those things that even on the, when I woke up in the morning, I was kind of a bit like, oh, well, today's the day. It's weird. I'm excited, but then I'm at the same time a bit nervous. But you know, it's just something that we're gonna we're gonna do. We're getting married, and this is this is happening. And then it wasn't until after breakfast, got up to the room, and well, the wedding gift that came in because Lance stayed in the uh, in the honeymoon suite, um, uh, yeah, and got to stay up there like a little princess. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And have breakfast in bed. I went downstairs with everyone and was just you know having breakfast with my family. And the next thing I know, Todd. Lance's brother and Lance's best man brought down this Union Jack bag, this like Union Jack um, like travel bag, and it had like a little tie on it and a little tag that said, break in case of cold feet. So I wasn't gonna, uh, so, but then I was like, I wonder what's in there. I'm like, this is interesting. So I went, when I went back up to the room, I was showing my brother, Ben, um, I opened it. And he had like got me cufflinks to wear. Get to the get to the good stuff. Yeah, but could just say if you opened it, it showed you had cold feet. It no, because I said should I open it to Todd, and Todd was like, no, you should open it. It's oh, just okay. you'll see when you open it. And then when I opened it, there was a hip flask, vodka, and like, it was like <laughs> <laughs> all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh right, so that's the cold feet. So it yeah. sharpens you up and gives you yeah. Dutch courage. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, then, just so I didn't get stuck there on my own. No, but my, when we got into the real, I was, I was with my mum, my grandma, and the bridesmaids were starting to get their hair done, and it was a bit like, oh, this is, you know, this is happening. And then, at like, literally at 10 o'clock in the morning, my mum was like, so, Tom, where's that bottle of champagne you've got? You've got some champagne in your... So then that was, you know, my mum was having it. She was the last one at the party, wasn't she? My mum is always... My mum is always the last one at the party. She's like my kind of girl. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned, you've both of you mentioned your families and we've talked about your journeys yes. um, as gay men. Lance, bearing in mind that yours was a difficult one and that your family was part of that from what you've said, presumably you've come to the end of that journey and it's all happy if they were coming over to celebrate your gay wedding. Yes, there was a journey. I mean, that journey started with me coming out to my mom, uh, which is a whole story in and of itself. I, I was not ready to, uh, but she found out. Oh, that must be awful. It was, it was tough. And she didn't immediately um, accept me or it, but she came to California for my graduation from college. And it was this, the, one of the most impactful nights for us and for me as just a storyteller was watching her meet all of my gay and lesbian friends who were over at our apartment and just watching them, they didn't know she was homophobic. Watching them tell her their stories. She's real, my mom is incredibly sweet and also very Southern. So she's just sort of listening and nodding and going, mm-hmm. And, and by the end of the night though, my mom was no longer homophobic. See, there it is again, that thing about the personal being political. Just by living your life openly, you are making a political point that can change minds and attitudes. Well, it's, and it's what I tell people, it's what I do in my work, and it's what I tell people time and again, is if you want to change minds, you can't do it by talking about people's right to be LGBT. You can't do it talking about constitutions or laws or science, no matter how much they are on our side. Uh, you, if you want to change a mind, you have to start with the heart, 
and you statistics won't get you there. You got to tell a personal story. I saw those personal stories change my mom's heart, which changed her mind. Uh, and she's not alone in that. It's the same strategy we then put to use in the marriage equality fight in the United States. We said, we want to tell our plaintiff stories and other couples like our plaintiff stories. We're going to try as much as possible to not tell the constitutional story until we get to the Supreme Court because we want to change people's minds. And you do that by changing hearts. I learned that from my mom and that journey with my mom. Um, and then surprisingly, my big brother came out years after I did. Um, and he was the tough, talk about mask. Oh, really? The toughest, butchest. All he liked to do was watch NASCAR and shoot animals and listen to heavy metal music. He was the, he was a tough guy. And, and, and he- that's fascinating. So, so was, so he came out, so when you say surprisingly, was it surprising to you as well as everybody else? Yes. Oh my gosh. We were shooting milk. In the, in the end of shooting milk, I waited until the end of the production to return his phone calls because there was always something up with Marcus. He reveals on that phone call that him and one of his good friends had been dating for a very long time and that they had broken up and he was devastated. And he'd just been hiding it from us forever. I mean, he was, and he was, I remember he was so lost in it all. And he was like, are there other, hey, bro, are there other uh, gays like me? But it was a big lesson because I remember on that phone call when he came out to me, I literally almost said all of the wrong things. Like, are you sure? You know what I mean? Is it just it was a phase so, you're going through? Is this a phase? <laughs> and, you know, and I got on the phone with my mom, and it was so funny because at this point, she's cool with me. But both of us were confounded by our big, my big brother. And she was like, well, I guess anything can happen now. <laughs> I mean, I had been in theater and had, like, new kids on the block posters on my wall. She couldn't have been that surprised. Like Paula Abdul above my bed. But with him, it was, uh, it was like a big surprise. And, and also, like, told us loud and clear, like, Boy, I, there, we, there I was. Even me, I was leaning on stereotypes of what is gay, and my brother didn't fit any of those. So did he come over for the wedding, presumably? So I've had just the, you know, one of the many millions of reasons I'm so grateful for Tom is, you know, I've lost almost all of my family in the past uh, handful of years. So, uh, you know, my brother went first. Um, what few aunts and grandparents I had, mentors and friends, uh, and then my mother all died of, of cancer. It just swept through my family and friends over the past few years. So no, I have one, I have a brother left and he's in Texas. And did he come over for the wedding? Yeah. He was <laughs> best man. He was my oh, best oh, man. Fantastic. Um, so, you know, my, you know, I have my brother, I have my stepfather um, and who I love and adore, um, who's like family to me. Uh, the one who got us out of Texas and to, oh, to California. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and that's really, that's my, that's my intimate family, plus Tom's. I mean, I got to say, like, I love Tom's mom. I mean, Tom's mom is family to me. I like the sound of Tom's mom. The last one yeah, to leave a Tom, party, like, lesbian Tom's, friend. Tom's Mark mom, she's yeah. a party, but so are his grandparents and his brothers. And, you know, I lucked out. I lucked out. Some of the most moving weddings that I've been to is when the bride and groom or the grooms have lost... Um, keep people in their lives and they somehow mark that loss and, you know, bring people who are absent into the events and the ceremony. Is there anything that you, you know, you say that you bonded because you'd lost family members and, Tom, you lost your dad. Is there anything that you did to um, mark their absence at the wedding? I mean, we talked about them and we all acknowledged them all, but we also had their... Uh, 
like photos of all the family members that we'd lost on the back table uh, where, you know, people could go and like, you know, see them and all that kind of stuff. And like little mementos of uh, what reminded, like Lance had, uh, you had your mum's angel, is that right? There. And then I had like uh, some of my, it sounds really morbid, but some of my dad's ashes and like a gold heart. So like we, it was like some, I don't know, it was nice to have the, you know, nod towards the people that we'd lost. And I think it was, it was tough because, you know, there's lots of people that we wish could have been there that weren't. So, um, but at the same time, it was one of those, it was a moment for like celebration as well. Like it was I, all very yeah, happy. I, I will say like, it gave me the opportunity, you know, so I, I invited cousins and aunts and whoever I had left who are, by the way, amazing, but they're, tend to be, they're from like Texarkana, Texas, Arkansas. And these, this is my family who I love. They're amazing. They can drink. <laughs> and in the United States at a wedding, you might not get that drunk, right? You sort not of like, like British weddings with hold, drunken uncles. And, oh, oh no. so my fa- so they come over from Texarkana with their drawls and their gifts from Walmart. And they just, and they start drinking and Tom's family's keeping up. And they're like, well, we've never been to a wedding where everyone's kept keeping up with us. And then I think everyone just raised the bar. And by the end, they, my good Southern Texas family was like, we met our people. Yeah. <laughs> like they weren't sticking out. So, I, you know, that was, that's like, that was one of the best things for me about that wedding was just like I watching how a, a wedding, how marriage can make, it's not just Tom and I, like our families bonded. And in fact, like my cousin came out to... Um, the UK and didn't even tell me and went down to Devon to hang out with his family. Yeah, flew over oh. from Texas and went down to Plymouth. <laughs> yeah, left me completely out of it. But like, isn't that the beauty of things? And isn't it like another reason I never even thought of that we should have been uh, fighting for marriage equality for so long? Mm. You know, Tom, you, so you mentioned your dad and I know that he died before you came out. Mm. You know, yeah. what do you think he would have made of you getting married to a man? I think he would have been exactly how he was the whole time. And that was, he was just like a joker. Like the whole thing, there was never a serious moment in my dad's life. If there was something that he could take the mick out of, he would. Like he would pretend that he had Tourette's on the plane just to try and wind me up and make a scene because he knew that I'd get embarrassed if there was like, you know, anything that he could do to like wind me up, embarrass, like, but those kind of, that kind of lightheartedness and not worrying about what anyone else, you know, thinks, that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned from my dad now, knowing what he was, at the time, for me, it was the most embarrassing thing. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this. Why are you doing this? Like, what, do you like hate me or something? Are you trying to like, whereas, now, looking back on it, he didn't care what anyone else thought. And I think that's something that is really, really powerful. And I think it would be a similar thing that he wouldn't, wouldn't have cared, like, whatsoever. He, and it would have been quite, like, similar with my mum. My mum was just completely, like, completely fine with it. And I think my dad would have been too. It's brilliant talking about all these positive reactions, but I want to bring one thing up that has always slightly concerned me, that sometimes, you know, we were saying earlier about the idea of you having this idyllic life, and obviously it is to you two because it's the the life that you've created together. But um, I have noticed that sometimes some gays can be negative about your life, that they feel, I don't know what, whether they feel it's so perfect and that they're excluded from that. I, I just wonder whether... You know, do you ever feel that the pressure that you're representing 
a kind... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, the thing is, our relationship is nowhere... It's far from perfect. We've, you know, we have, like, really, like, tough times and struggles. For example, we went long distance for a very, very long time. Like, he was living in L.A., I was living in London. We would spend sometimes five weeks apart, and it's something that, you know, it was really, really tough. And, you know, we've had to make massive and dramatic changes in our lives in order to be able to live together and see each other all the time. So it's not all plain sailing. We, obviously, we, we're not going to just go and post about them all the really negative things. Like, I mean, there's nothing really negative. Yeah, what's this list, Tom? I mean, there's not really anything to... <laughs> really negative. But you know, what, you know what it's like. Like, when he doesn't flipping empty he... the dishwasher, <laughs> know, I'm going to get I mad. I get like, but... Or forget to put the dishes in. I mean, I, and I've learned this a bit from Tom, too. Like, I don't care if someone says something negative about us. Why would I? That's their business. No, and, I don't. And, and, and I, I mean, I guess if I felt like I was doing anything wrong, I would feel bad. Um, but people are, they should have their own opinions. If someone feels like, you know, what we're doing isn't for them, great. By the way, I'm so not pro people getting married. I don't, I don't think there's any one way to be as an LGBTQ person. I don't want to be heteronormative in every way either, by the way. Gay people are unique and different. That's fabulous. We wanted to get married, and that's who we are, and that's just how we're built. But I think I, in some ways, I think some criticism might be about that and about some, like, hey, we're creating this, like, thing that I guess other people might think they're supposed to follow. No, you're not. Don't be like us. Go do your yeah, thing. Yeah. Be you. Yeah. Be wild. Yeah. Be be as as LGBTQ with all of the diversity you can think of. Do your thing. I I am not about blending in. Uh, the, my heroes are not about blending in. I I I I said this to you earlier. I think it's great that we're all out there investigating our difference. Uh, how we're different than one another in the LGBT community. How we're different than the straight community. We're finding this this sort of beautiful time of self-examination that's, that's illuminating just how different we can be and all the little subgroups of who we can be. I think it's great. I want to see a thousand letters. We don't have that many. At least 26 and other combinations of letters of who we are in LGBTQIA. But I actually think there's one problem I have with that, which is once you figured out just how very different and special you are, that's not where you stop. You don't get a prize for that. You don't get a prize for being the most discriminated against, right? This isn't the discrimination Olympics where he or she or the person who is treated most poorly wins. That's not what it's about. The prize, the goal, once you've figured out just how very different you are, the brave thing to do is to build a bridge, not to say, leave me alone, leave me in isolation, or I'm better than you because I'm more different than you. It's to build a bridge to some other person of difference and to build a lot of those bridges and to build coalitions between people of difference. Because if we don't do that, we are doomed as a people. Because if all we do is divide and subdivide, and I'm not saying that's bad. I think that's really great work, investigative work. There's power in that work. But if it's all we do and we stop there, we're going to create more Trumps around the world because divided we can be conquered. And, you know, I, I know we're, we're sitting here today talking about marriage and all these beautiful things, and, and it's important. It's important that we have beacons of light in the world. But I think it's also critical just to take a second here to remember 
that there are places in this world where LGBT people are being put to death for who they are. They're being imprisoned for who they are. And we're in a moment where without American leadership on this issue, because that's gone, without countries saying, hey, we better not hurt our LGBT brothers and sisters because America will get mad at us and that'll hurt our bottom line. Without that, leaders around the world are taking advantage of this vacuum of influence coming from the United States and they're cracking down on their LGBTQ populations. And it's our job as people who live in places where we're privileged enough to talk about our weddings, to remember to shine light on places like Chechnya and Uganda and, and Iran, in places where it's becoming increasingly difficult to live openly as who you are. Do you think this is, you know, you've been active in this field for a long time. Do you think it's a temporary blip on the road forward? Or do you think there is a serious danger that progress will be rolled back permanently? Uh, it's up to us. That is such a good question. I, I love that question because that question, it's, it's not something you can sit back on your tail and tweet about. It's not, that's not activism, guys. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's not activism. You got to get up off your butt. You got to help literally physically get out there and march, not just for us, but for other groups. Create those coalitions that will make us strong enough in numbers and in a volume of our voices that we can win at the, at the ballot box and get rid of guys like Trump. And then make it a blip. It can only be a blip if we make it a blip. It'll only be a blip if we make it a blip. This isn't the first time in history we've seen a backlash, and we've seen some backlashes last generations and generations, some that we're never, we're still not healed from. And we want to make sure this is a blip. But if we're going to do that, we got to be stronger together. Celebrate your, your difference. I would hate to lose the beautiful variety of being LGBTQIA, but I also think these divisions, like you said, we're creating amongst ourselves, whether that is good gay or bad gay, uh, whether that is I'm different in this way, LGBT. Uh, I, I think that's making us weaker politically and it's making all of us less safe. The solution to these civil rights problems is being very loud and shining a very bright light so that the world can see where this sort of discrimination is happening. If we all see it, we recognize the evil in it and we will start doing what we need to do to stop it. Uh, but our, what, what we have the power to do in places like the UK and those of us uh, in the US who are still resisting is to shine that very bright light. You have that power at Attitude. You have that power at this magazine. We're using it. We're doing our bit. We're I'm, doing everything we I'm, can. I'm glad you are. Thing, if you're an eight-year-old, even if you've just got four years of Trump, if you're eight years old and you have the between the ages of eight and twelve, you're hearing someone that is homophobic, someone that is, you know, uh, the, against every kind of, you know, diversity, that not for, for equality at all. If you're hearing that for four years. They're going to grow up being racist, homophobic, and have those same values. And then that's going to be passed down to the people yeah. that are two years younger, two years older. And then that creates a, another generation, a yeah. six-year generation, that has heard that and are going to continue to pass that down. So we need a block of time where people are more accepting and open, because if you don't have that, then, you know, it's going to keep happening. We've got more people trying to fight against the LGBTQIA family so having fights amongst ourselves or not having agreements and not having the coalition, not being, you know, feeling like we are one big family makes us weaker. 
Oh, I totally agree. All right, well, in that case, do you ever, are you ever aware of what you represent to straight mainstream society? Do you ever feel any pressure that, um, that you know, that we've had so many examples of gays leading um, less conformist lifestyles. Do you ever feel a pressure of representing to, to straight mainstream society? Um, we're the gays who can make it work and we're the, you know... We just do what we do. Like, we don't feel any... I, well, I certainly do not feel any pressure in acting in any way, shape or form how somebody says that we should. We are us and we may not do things by the book, but we may do certain things by the book. And, you know, there's some things that we, you know, like we don't... The one thing with social media, with the way that we are as a married couple, we don't think about it. It's just, it's us and we're, you know... We, we, we are who we are and we do what we do. So, and we don't think about it. Do you sometimes feel that the mainstream media might be looking for your relationship to fail? They might, you know, as a form of homophobia to kind of bring you down? We don't care if they do. Well, I mean, <laughs> but here's the, yeah, here's the other thing is like, we both were well-trained for this, weren't we? I mean, everyone in the media is waiting for my film and TV projects to fail. Oh, really? Do or, you feel or that? Waiting, or waiting for them to succeed. They're waiting for something dramatic to happen. Same with him. They want to see something dramatic happen. That's what the media does. Yeah, that's, but there, I mean, there are okay. certain media outlets that will be looking for a failure because they feel like it's more gossipy and feel like it's something that there's going to get more readers at the end of the day. Whereas, because for some reason, I don't know what it is about the way that we live at the moment, is that turn on the news, the things that get way more attention and way more airtime is anything negative you know there's not it's not an even 50 50 split of look how amazing this has been this week it's all this is something it's more of like the the bad news okay right well let's book the trend and talk about good news yes. tom in your speech when you were hosting the attitude awards yes when you did brilliantly you did say publicly you looked forward to a time when you and lance are going to have kids Yes. Do you remember putting that out there? Yeah, I mean, family is something that Lance and I feel very strongly about, but it's not quite as easy as having a glass of wine, some pizza and a good <laughs> night. So, um, I mean, it's something that we really, really want to happen, right? We you, do keep trying. Lance never seems to get pregnant. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> all right. Well, in all seriousness, it is, I mean, it's one thing we can't do is a man and a woman fall in love. And as you say, they, it can just happen. We can joke about you can't just get drunk and have a pizza and have a good night. But at the same time, you can't do it as easily, can you? No. You know, have you thought about how you're going to do it? As a, as a gay couple, it is one of the most difficult things to have a child. And there's so many different ways that you can go about it. But it's, you know, it's a long process, you know, expensive process. And, you know, there's, again, at the same time, we've, you know, we've done research and loads of different, like, ideas and, you know, through adoption or through surrogacy and all that kind of stuff, where actually the laws in the UK don't actually yeah. permit commercial surrogacy. Yeah, I know. So there's still a long way for things like that to go before it's become something in the UK that is the norm. So in other countries... That was a big of a shock to me when, you know, you learned that in a place like this that seems so progressive and is so far ahead still to the United States on things like, uh, you know, employment and housing security and certainly beat us to marriage. But on surrogacy, 
it's not available in the same way. Yeah, but is that not is that not because of a squeamishness around paying women to have babies rather than necessarily any kind of sense of discrimination against same-sex couples who might want to use a surrogate? Yeah, but now you have, I mean, how long are you going to stay squeamish and keep Gay men from I'm not squeamish, darling. So I know, <laughs> but like, but I, at a certain point, it's you know, there's an, it's been happening enough around the world, um, and we see where it's happening in in successful ways where people aren't being taken advantage of, and that there are models uh, that prove that this can be done in a way that's beneficial to everyone involved. But I do think you know, if you know, if 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 people want to have kids who are planned children. Um, wanted children. Wanted children. Why, are, why is any government standing in the way of that? Is I that mean, a- wanted children, it was one of the things we talked about in the marriage equality case. And in fact, the one witness against marriage equality had to admit on the stand that because of the strict scrutiny gay and lesbian parents go through, they often outstrip straight parents in uh, and, and, and terms of how well the children turn out. But that's just because there's no accidents. You have to do a lot of work as, uh, you know, you can't just go to the shop and pick one out. And, um, so and there's no be, accidents. It must be so easy to duck out as well halfway through because it's so difficult. So do you know what I mean? You've got to really want to do it. Yeah. We, we really want to do it. And, um, and I, I don't think that's giving anything away. But, uh, and certainly watching, you know, Tom's... Um, cousin, who's almost like his brother, had a baby recently. And little Florence. Little oh, my Flo. oh, my gosh. And just going there, and you're just holding her in your arms, and, and then you say, oh, man, my arms are starting to hurt. I guess they're more heavy than you think. And then Sam would say, you've been holding her for an hour. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't realize. You two are totally broody. Well, isn't that good? We're ending on some good news. Oh, yeah, exactly. There you go. Tom Daly and Dustin Lance Black there. And what a pleasure it was spending so much time chatting with them in such a relaxed way. Before you go, I'm going to remind you one last time that we want to hear what you've enjoyed about this series of podcasts over the previous year. It can be something that's made you laugh, gasp, cry, or just think. All you have to do is send a message to podcast at attitude.co.uk and your favourite bit could make it into next month's Greatest Hits special. That's podcast at attitude.co.uk. Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. Check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. Until next time, thanks for listening.